when we uh, got to chapter 9 in the book of Romans, and that's where we are. We're going to be in chapter, the end of chapter 10, verse 11 today. But when we got to chapter 9, Paul began to share a great burden on his heart. He said, brethren, uh, I have a great burden and unceasing sorrow in my heart for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And they were the Israelites. And Paul said, I have a burden for them. And in chapter 10, verse 1, he said, why? He said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, what was the great problem, great thing that uh, Paul was concerned about, about Israel? Well, that's the whole subject of chapters 9 through 11 uh, of Romans. And so as we come this morning, we have to ask the question, is there hope for Israel? And uh, perhaps you'll understand that a little better as we work our way through the scriptures. But one of the things that Paul is concerned about, and his main thing that he's concerned about, is that Israel might be saved. So what he's talking about in chapters 9 through 11, whatever anybody else wants to talk about, and however anybody else wants to interpret wants to interpret these passages of scriptures, there's one thing that Paul is concerned with, and that is the salvation of Israel. He says in Romans chapter 1, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. And so we see he laid out in chapter 10, the very heart of chapter 10 is the plan of salvation. In, in plan of salvation in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, where he said, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Then verse 11. For the scripture says, and he's pointing back to the Old Testament. He does this because he's concerned specifically about Israel. He says, the scripture says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All through these verses, he's concerned with the salvation of Israel. He's concerned with their rejection of the gospel. And so some, uh, after Paul, and, and again I remind you that the heart of Romans, the very heart of the book of Romans is chapter 8, where we find all those great verses of comfort and in encouragement, but specifically Romans 8, 28, where it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And so the overruling hand of providence so governs all the events of our lives so as to work them for our good and his glory. And so someone is concerned, as 
Paul is thinking in his own mind about that person who might be concerned that the purpose of God has failed in regard to Israel. And he begins the ninth chapter saying, well, it is not as though the word of God has failed in regard to Israel. But in this passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, beginning in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, that's where the message begins, Romans 10, 15, Paul asked a question, asked four questions as a matter of fact, and those questions are going to serve as the outline of our message this morning. Romans chapter, 11, chapter 10, beginning in the middle of verse 15, he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Of course, that refers first of all to the feet of Jesus that were nailed to the cross and made the place of that cross glorious. In, the, in weeks to come, we're going to launch an outreach effort in our church, a ministry effort, and we're going to call it, based on this very passage of Scripture, Operation Beautiful Feet. And we're going to be asking some of you to be going out and being involved in sharing the gospel with others and in ministering to others. Well, Paul goes on to say, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, again, he's referring to the Old Testament. This is Isaiah chapter 53. God looking ahead, knowing how, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing how people are going to respond. He said, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? And so some who've heard have not believed. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And we come to Paul's first question. And there are four of these, and they're almost identical. I'm going to point them out to you. You will see them very plainly from this point on. But here's the first one. Here's the beginning of our message as we seek to answer Paul's question or to let him answer it. But I ask, have they not heard? And he's referring to Israel. He said, I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So our first question, the first point of the message is, has Israel not heard? Is that their problem? Is that why they've not trusted Jesus as their Savior? Remember, that's always a very important concern. If a person hasn't trusted Jesus as their Savior, if they don't know Jesus, they're not going to heaven. That's what the Bible tells us. And if they don't know Jesus as their Savior, could it be that they just have never heard? Paul said that is possible for some people because how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach except they be sent? So obviously it's important that there are people who've never heard. But what about Israel? Is the fact that they rejected Jesus, that they didn't accept him as their Savior, when he came, is it because they didn't hear. Well, Paul said, absolutely not. And he quotes a passage of scripture from Psalm 19. Let me read you that passage of scripture that he quotes from when he says, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. If you've, ever, if you've been watching on the news and following, I know students have because I know they must be showing it in school. 
I follow it because I like to read science articles on the web. I've been following the work of the James Webb Telescope and the great discoveries that that telescope is making, the beautiful pictures that are boggling the minds of, of scientists today. The Hubble Telescope before, now the James Webb Telescope this verse of scripture has already told us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day pours out speech night to night reveals knowledge there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world the creation itself testifies to the glory of God Paul said that in the book of Romans chapter 1 he said for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world through the things that have been made Israel knew that they knew that it's not a mystery to them but even more so the one who created the world, the word became flesh and dwelt among them and they beheld his glory. That's what John says in his gospel. And he said he came into his own and his own received him not. It is not possible that they have not heard. They did hear and they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we come to the second question that Paul raises and it's in verse 19 it's in the first part of verse 19 he asked it in the same way he said but I ask did Israel not understand well that's what some would say uh, they say they would say well you know what what the problem was is that Jesus never came right out and said this or that he spoke in parables and and so they were looking for a king and they weren't looking for a savior they didn't reject him they just misunderstood him well to answer both of these questions again Paul turns immediately to the Old Testament uh, the book of Romans has more uh, Old Testament quotations than many of the books of the New Testament do there are about some say 78 Old Testament quotations in the book of Romans others say 96 what Paul does is basically since he's speaking here to the Jews since he's concerned about the Jews, since he's concerned about Israel and their need to be saved, since he's concerned about answering these questions about didn't they hear, didn't they know, didn't they understand, he refers to their very scriptures. He said, first, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Verse 20, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Obviously, we see that even in the New Testament. People turning to Jesus Christ who were not Jews, but the Jews not turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. It was happening even while Jesus was among them. The religious people, the Pharisees and the scribes were often the ones who had problems with Jesus. But the Bible says the tax collectors and, and the sinners and people like that were, were drawn to him. And the more they were drawn, the more the religious Jews hated him. 
And there was even one occasion in the Gospel of John when there were some Gentiles who came to Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, and said, Sirs, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus said, at that moment, he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified because he realized that that was going to move him to the cross. The very fact that these Gentiles, it was going to enrage the Jews and, and lead to his crucifixion. So whatever emotions were working in them in those moments, it's hard for us to grasp the magnitude of the opportunity that they lost. I remind you that on his way to the cross, Jesus stopped to weep over Jerusalem, and he said in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 42, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. That was due to their outright rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he warned them, he said, because of your rejection, judgment is coming. It's coming on you. It's coming on your city. It's coming on your nation. It's coming on your temple. So they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's next question, and it follows in a logical fashion, is in Romans chapter 11, verse 1, the very first part of the first verse. He says, I ask then, has God rejected Israel? Has Israel been rejected by God? They rejected him. That's clear. They crucified him. Has he rejected them? That's Paul's third question. Uh, and he's concerned about that. He's concerned about their salvation. And so was their opportunity, has their opportunity for salvation been lost? Can the Jews, can Israel not be saved because they rejected Jesus? Look at Romans 11 the middle of verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. He says, by no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of, of, of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Paul said, I'm a prime example that Israel has not been rejected by God Israel can be saved. There are people in Israel who have been saved. He, remember, the stated purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came was to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what he said. They were lost when he came. They were lost before he came. And as Paul writes the book of Romans, Paul is still concerned for them because they are still lost. Paul said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That <coughs> has always been the burden of God's heart. It is the burden of God's heart today. But Paul makes it very clear <coughs> that God's purpose 
has been accomplished in only a very small group of people, what he calls a remnant. A remnant of my coat would be a little piece that I might tear off and drop on the floor. I still got my coat, but I left a remnant on the floor. It's a very small part. And then Paul turns to a story, another Old Testament story, to give an illustration. He says in verses 2 to verse 4, he said, Do you know not what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, <clears throat> and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In other words, in Elijah's day, it seemed like the whole nation had gone astray. It seemed like the whole nation was lost. The whole nation had turned against God. All the prophets had been killed. Elijah was alone. He was lonely. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, God said to Elijah, no, Elijah, that's not the case. I have preserved for myself a small number. And he said, there's 7,000. I've preserved them. They still follow me. You don't know where they are, who they are, but they still follow me. And so Paul says in verse 5, look at verse 5, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Paul is identifying himself as part of that remnant the small group of Jews who were saved, they had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was an Israelite who was part of that remnant. And there are others. That was in Paul's time, there was a remnant. But the present time, as Paul is speaking about it, is also today. There's a small group of Jews who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and so become part of that remnant. This week I was reading about a seminary professor who grew up uh, as a Jew in a Jewish home in the area of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He was attending the Hebrew University in Pittsburgh and was preparing to be a rabbi. And in their home, they employed what they called a Sabbath Gentile. The Sabbath Gentile was a poor Gentile woman, not a Jew. She was just not a Jew. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. Red, yellow, black, or white, they're Gentiles. They're, the word Gentile, by the way, the Greek word is ethnos, which is ethnic or nations. Any nation of the world, not a Jew, is a Gentile. Doesn't matter where you live, who you are, you're a Gentile. So they employed this poor woman, this servant woman, to be their Sabbath Gentile, to extinguish the candles on the evening of the Sabbath. The Sabbath started at sundown, the Jews couldn't work, so they had to have somebody there who could, so the Sabbath Gentile could extinguish the candles and start the fire on the Sabbath morning. That's what she was there for. But little did they know, she volunteered. She put herself in position to be in their home so that she could bear witness to that Jewish family, so that she could be there and serve them and to, and to portray Christ to them and she did a good job because the young man who, whose name was Charles who was preparing to be a rabbi saw something in her life that he was missing in his own life 
And he became interested in what it was about this Christian woman that was different from him as a Jew. And as a result, Charles Feinberg accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and later became a prominent professor at the Dallas Theological Seminary. He became a preacher, a gospel preacher. He became a part of this remnant, one of this small group of Jews that saved by grace. So Paul would say at the present time, there's still a remnant of people being saved. Verse 7, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Now this is the Israel as a whole. Remember how I've told you over and over until you're tired of it, how Paul continually divides people into different groups. Here he, he divides Israel into two distinct groups. He said Israel as a whole failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. So there is the Israel that failed to obtain what it was seeking, and there is the elect who did obtain it. What then is the difference between these two groups? Why is that the case? Again, Paul turns to the Old Testament. In the middle of verse 7, we pick up, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, and down to this very day, David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So as we continue in this 11th chapter, we find out about this partial, partial hardening. He talks about the hardened, those who have this partial hardening in contrast to the remnant. Those who are hardened are still trying to go about salvation apart from Christ, and they will not be saved apart from Christ. They cannot be saved apart from Christ. So we come to Paul's fourth question, the final question. Verse 11 of chapter 11, he says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall. Is this partial hardening a final hardening? Is Israel outside of God's purpose finally and forever? Now let's read verses 11 and 12, the total verses. So I ask, did they, this, the hardened in contrast to the remnant, stumble in order that they might fall? He says, by no means. Now here is how, where God takes even the hardest thing and works it for good. He says, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Paul goes on to show that God will work this even for greater good. There's a greater, grander purpose. Look at verse 12. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion be. In other words, God still has a plan for Israel. What is his plan for Israel? Well, perhaps you've heard some suggest that the nation of Israel is the clock of prophecy. While that might be true, that is not a statement you read in the Bible. 
that's a statement of those who see some future for a political Israel, and I think we need to be very careful. In this 11th chapter of Romans, Paul is not raising or answering the question that the disciples raised before Jesus was ascended into heaven. The disciples asked Jesus, they said, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? That was a funny question for them to ask because up until that time, all Jesus had been talking about was judgment, not restoration. He talked about one stone not being left upon another. He talked about them not recognizing their time of visitation. And he talked about judgment. He didn't say anything about restoration. Paul is not concerned here about the restoration of the Jews. Paul is concerned here about the salvation of the Jews. And so his concern here is to tell us that they are not saved, why they are not saved, and how they can be saved, and if they'll ever be saved. We uh, have quoted one, I think, misguided author, and I'm going to quote him again to show you the contrast between what some people think about the future of Israel and what the Bible says. John Hagee says, let us put an end to this Christian chatter that all the Jews are lost and can't be in the will of God until they convert to Christianity. If Jesus refused by his words or actions to claim to be the Messiah to the Jews, how can the Jews be blamed for rejecting what was never offered? But oh my goodness, didn't Jesus offer himself to the Jews? And didn't they flatly and categorically reject him? Didn't they also do that when Paul and Peter preached to the Jews and the Jews in the synagogues rejected him and they said then we will turn to the Gentiles which was in the providence of God and the plan of God and is part of God's plan as we see it in the 11th chapter of Romans. So what is Israel's hope? What is the hope of Israel? The hope of Israel, is it some kind of political restoration? Oh my goodness. If you think so, then you've missed the whole heart of the New Testament. Israel's hope is the gospel. It's the gospel. There is no victory that Jesus will ever win that will be greater than the victory he won on the cross. That was the greatest battle in the history of the world. Salvation for Jew and Gentile comes only through the cross. I just refer you to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13 where Paul says there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We used to sing a hymn, and sometimes we still do, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. It is the only way of salvation for me. It is the only way of salvation for you. It is the only way of salvation for all the nations of the world. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Romans 9 through 11, 
Paul is concerned that these people that he loves, these people that are his family, these people that are his friends, these people that used to be his brothers in the synagogue, he said, man, I want them to be saved. I want them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they needed. That's what everybody needs. That's what you need. Let's pray.